I'll get your toe tapping and get you, get you feeling just good all over. This morning, uh, take your Bibles and keep it on your, on your lap there. Turn to Ephesians uh, chapter 1. Salvation, our salvation is that mysterious and miraculous coming together of God in His sovereignty and man in His free will, meshed together in a mysterious and a miraculous way. Last week, as we were studying verses 11 and 12, we were looking at God's perspective on salvation, on our salvation. And we looked specifically about how it had to do with His predestination, with His power, and with His preeminence. So in our verses today, we're seeing salvation from the human perspective. What, what we bring to the table, if you please, what we do to receive what He has already done for us. So, I want you to listen very carefully as we read that scripture again for four key words. Four key words that speak about our unique role in receiving the salvation that God has prepared for us. Will you listen to this passage again and listen for these four key words? In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's pray together. Lord, I just, I just can't get over all that You've made possible through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we have been immersing ourselves in what it means to be in Christ. We invite Christ into our hearts, but then by wonderful mystery and miracle, we are plunged into Him. We are, are, are mightily pressed into Christ. And we're learning as we've studied Your Word here, that all of the spiritual blessings, all of the things that were true for the Lord Jesus Christ have become true for us because we're in Him. And we continue to glow in the reality of that. Take us deeper into Your Word and deeper into Your heart. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this passage details the process in which anyone, anywhere, for all time, can, will, or have been saved. It's the universally set of the boundaries, the borders, the means, and the method by which mankind can be saved. God has predestined this. He has set it in such a way that no matter who you are, young or old, uh, whether you're a child coming to faith in Christ or whether you're a, a hardened sinner or a way up in age, doesn't matter. We all walk the same path. There are some things that are true for each and every one of us. And so we review them here today. This passage begins again with those two little words, in Him, meaning in Christ. All, all of what we've been talking about from verse 1 all the way down here to verse 14 is understanding who we are in Christ. 
Now, on Wednesday night, we've been studying the whole of the book of Ephesians, and we've learned that those first three chapters that Paul just hammers and hammers and hammers and hammers who we are in Christ. But beginning with chapter 4 through chapter 6, then the door swings and he says, now based on who you are in Christ, here is how you're supposed to live to reflect that. So I encourage you to catch up on that on our studies on Wednesday evening. They're on, on our website as well. But this all begins with in him. So in him, something amazing happens with the lost person. In Christ, we get to hear and understand the gospel. Will you do something with me? Will you take a little journey back in your own spiritual life? If you've come to faith in Christ, if you've been saved, if you've been born again, I want you to go with me back to that experience. Maybe you were a young child. Uh, maybe you were a teenager. Maybe you were a young man in the military. Uh, maybe you were a professional woman. Whenever it was, maybe it was just a, a few weeks ago. Maybe it's been decades and decades ago. But will you go there with me for a moment? Because I want us to live there a little bit. I want us to understand what happened there. What was the first step? The first step of you coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first key word. It's there in your notes. I want you to fill in the blanks right there. The first key word is heard or listened. Heard or maybe in your Bible it might say listened. This is the word akuo in the Greek. And we get the word acoustic from this, like an acoustic guitar, or if the sound is right, we say the acoustics are right. But I want you to know it means something far, far more than just hearing, just having your auditory nerves stimulated by sound impulse. It means a great deal more than that. The definition of akuo is to hear with understanding, to grasp that which has been said. Now, if you don't understand what that means, let me set up the scenario for you. Gentlemen, you're sitting in front of the TV set in your easy chair with a cold drink, and you're watching the game. And your wife is making noises in the kitchen. And she says, did you hear me? And you say, uh-huh. I challenge you, you did not hear with understanding. You might have heard a series of noises, but that information probably did not settle in your mind and in your thought. That's not akuo. Akuo happens when you're listening and you fully grasp and understand not only the words that are being uttered, but the information underneath those. That's what akuo means. So, three quick thoughts. First of all, it says right here that you heard the word of truth. Well, that implies that somebody has told you the word of truth. Okay? If you heard the word of truth, somebody told you that God... Who was it that shared the gospel with you? Go back there in your mind. Go back in your thinking. Who was that? Was that a friend? Was that a parent or grandparent? Was that a pastor? Was that a Sunday school teacher or vacation Bible school teacher? Who was that? that shared with you the gospel, that once you heard it, this aha happened and, and your life began to be transformed. Who was that? Can you go to that moment? Now, if you're there, here's the thing I want you to grasp. Somebody had to tell you the gospel or you would have never received it. 
Somebody had to deliver that gospel to you or you would have never received it. Will you take a moment right now to thank God for that person? Thank God for that person who shared that good news to you. But now, here's something I want you to understand. That person shared that with you in a way you could understand. This is important for us. When we share the gospel, we need to do everything in our power to share it in a means by which it can be clearly understood. Okay? That means that you have to share it in real life. You have to share it in, in relationship. You know, it's, it, this is one of the things that's so key in sharing witness, in sharing our testimony. We need to share it in such a way that we understand. At, for those of us who have been believers for a long time, we have a, a terminology all our own. And it's, it's a series of words that this world does not understand, or they don't understand it the way we do. And so we have to be able to speak the gospel in a language that people who don't know churchese, if that is a word, can understand it. It's important that it is understood. Listen to what Romans 10 and verse 14 says. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how would they hear without a preacher? Let me pause a moment. This doesn't mean a preacher in terms of this being his office. This is someone who's proclaiming the gospel. So it can be anybody. You don't have to be a professional minister here. Okay? And how would they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. I go back and I, I listen in my mind again how my cousin Benny shared the basics of the gospel with me. I didn't receive Christ then. But those seeds were planted deep within me. And then when I went to church with him and I heard the preacher preach and he was echoing the same words that I had heard Benny say, then Holy Spirit just made it possible that all of a sudden they said, whoa, that's me. That's my need. That's my heart. And Jesus did this for me. See, I heard with understanding. That's the key. Because somebody told me in a way that I could understand. The second thought is this. In him, God's truth is absolute. What is it that we heard? We heard the truth. That, that, little, that little word is there. It's not a truth. It's not some truth. It's the truth. What is the truth here? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not that you and I have to understand the Trinity. It's not that we have to understand all complex doctrine. We don't have to understand the mysteries of the Scriptures. That's not what's required in order to be saved. What we have to understand is the basics of the gospel. And we're going to get to that in just a few moments. But what he heard was the truth. The truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth about our sin, the truth about our eternal destiny outside of Christ, the truth about what Jesus did to redeem us, to buy us back from our sin, and what he did that we might have eternal life. That's the gospel. So what it is that we have to, to hear is the truth. And the third thought that comes out of this, again, is we have to hear with understanding. 
You know, it's more than a casual hearing. I have to underscore that. You see, there can never be a response to the gospel if the gospel is not understood. Will you let that sink in a moment? There can never be a saving response to the gospel of Christ unless the gospel is understood. And so there are two parts to that understanding. One of that part is my responsibility as I share the gospel. I have to put it in very clear terms that anyone, a child, a teenager, an adult, whatever, can understand. But there is a divine point of this. You just can't separate the divine from the human when it comes to this because it's Holy Spirit. That gives the understanding. He's the one that makes the light bulb come on. <laughs> He's the one that, that causes you to say, well, yeah, I, th that's his ministry in the midst of this. So the two go intricately woven together. But we have to hear and we have to understand the elements of the gospel. Well, what is that? Can we read it just clearly defined? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm, I, this is going to be our text for next week, by the way. It's going to be an Easter message that's going to come out of this passage. But beginning in verse 3, it says, Paul is saying, For I delivered to you of first importance also what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared, unto Cephas and the twelve, and then he goes on with a litany of other people he appeared to. There's the gospel put out so very clearly. This is what you and I have to understand. We have to understand that we were lost sinners, that Christ died on the cross to take our sins upon himself, that he was buried, and that three days later he rose to bring us our eternal life who believed in him. You know, there's a lot more to the gospel than that. There's a lot more God has done. But here are the basics. Here's, here's the three. Here's what we've got to be able to always include every time we share the gospel and every time we share our story with anyone else so they can hear and understand. I was reading just a, a few weeks ago about uh, one of our missionaries in Africa, and he was translating the book of Ephesians here into... I think this is pronounced Songhai. I think that's the, the, the dialect that he was trying to uh, uh, translate it into. And he could not find a word in that dialogue, dialect to, to translate to hear, to listen, to, to especially to do so with understanding and to grasp. And so he asked uh, one of the nationals how he would suggest to translate that. And he thought for a minute, and he says, we would use this word, and he pronounced it in Songhai, it means to hear with the heart. To hear with the heart. And I thought, yeah, we need that word in English. That, that's the word we need. To hear with the heart. Now, from this, from this, we go to the, to the next word. Have you figured out what the next word is yet? It's the word believe. Believed In him we put our full trust. And the word there is, is, is pistis. And it means to put your full trust, your full faith, your full weight on to something or someone. And in this case, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me pause a minute because we have so buggered up with that word, belief, that, that, that I'm not sure we really grasp what we're talking about. 
so many people that I interact with understand that word to means I understand a certain body of information. Uh, and I believe it's probably true. I understand a certain body of information and I give my assent to it that it's probably true. Listen, you may know a great deal about the Lord Jesus Christ, but this is not what that's talking about. This isn't talking about intellectual assent to a certain body of information. That's not what it means to believe. You know, somebody may be uh, uh, on witness stand, they may be sharing their, their, their testimony of what happened or whatever, and you may be there on the uh, one of the jurors, and you may say, I, I believe what they're saying is true. That's, you're accepting their body of information. But then it comes time to make the determination that may be a matter of life and death. Now, your belief has a different depth to it. Because it's going to determine living or dying for somebody else. Okay? And so suddenly that belief takes on a whole deeper, deeper meaning. That's the concept of what this belief means. It's not just to give an intellectual awareness for a certain body of information, doctrine, or, or church stuff, or whatever. No, it doesn't have anything to do with that. What it means... I can show you that goes from the word that really pistis comes from. Pistis, which means, the, the noun means faith or belief, and the, the verb form means uh, believing or faithing, if you please. But this is built off of a word called pytho. And pytho's definition is this, to be firmly persuaded to the point that you're willing to abandon and surrender to obey what you've heard. Now see, there's a whole different depth, isn't it? But that's the root word where this comes from. It means not just enough to say, well, that sounds like a pretty good idea. It's the kind of belief that moves you to action. That moves you to do something about it. When I heard the gospel, and Brother Floyd preached it that day, he gave an invitation. I'd not been in church that I could ever, ever remember. I didn't know what was supposed to happen at an invitation. But as they began singing, people began to stand up and come down and kneel at the altar. And, and Benny and my aunt were sitting to my left, and they stood up and went down to the altar. I didn't know it, but they went down to pray for me. And so I had a, an avenue to get out, all right? And my first thought was to escape. And so I, I moved to my left with every plan to go left, which would mean I would be leaving the church. But everything within me pulled me to the right, pulled me to the altar, moved me to do something way out of my comfort zone, very, very not me. And I got to the altar and I knelt there thinking of all of the things that Brother Floyd had said and something else happened to me that just did not happen to me. I began to weep. I began to weep because all I was hearing was being pressed upon me. I didn't know that Holy Spirit was convicting my heart. I didn't know that He was drawing me to the Father. But that's what was going on. All I knew is that I had not cried in years and now I was weeping here at the altar. And that really made me mad. It did. And the pastor came and knelt on the other side of the altar and he reached out and took me by the hand. He said, son, what's going on with you right now? <laughs> and I said, I don't know, but I've got to get blankety-blank out of this place. 
I did. He shared that in his testimony one time when I heard him preach. <laughs> he said, no, son, what you need to do is to say yes to what's going on in your heart. To believe, to step forward, to surrender, to abandon yourself to God's incredible love that you've heard about today. He took me back in his office and, and we talked some more and we prayed and that's when I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart, to be my Lord and to be my Savior. Because I believed, not just intellectually, but with something that moved my soul and possessed me. That's what this word belief means. To believe in a way that you are possessed with what you have heard. So these first key words that we see come out of that is we need to hear with understanding and we need to believe in such a way that moves us to action. The third word here is the word seal. And we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sfragetso is that crazy Greek word right here. And it means just that, to seal up, to secure, to mark permanently, to confirm, to authenticate, to show ownership. That's what the word means. So when I heard the gospel, and when I believed in it, then Holy Spirit did something that I could never do. He sealed me permanently as his very own child. Now this sealing is something Paul knew an awful lot about. He was Jewish from, one, you know, from, from the ground up, but he was also a Roman citizen. So as a, a citizen of Rome, he understood the whole concept of sealing. When you would write a letter, when you would enter into a contract, whatever it would be, you would drip a little wax on that piece of paper, and you would have a ring, a signet ring that had your family crest on it. And you would press it into that wax, and that sealed the deal. You know that phrase? That seals the deal. Because that crest has been put upon it, it authenticated it, it made it legal, all very much proper. When Paul would send a letter, this letter to the, to the Ephesians, he would roll it up in a scroll. He would drip a little wax on where the pages overlapped. He would set his seal down in there. And when the people at Ephesus saw it, they said, well, that's Paul. Look, it's authenticated. It's got his seal on it right there. So they would know that it was genuinely his, authenticating who it was. But Paul knew something else, and he referred to it earlier. We studied this a few weeks ago. And this has to do with adoption. You know, when someone was adopted in Paul's day, very much like today, the judge puts a seal on that document. He would drip some wax, only this would be the Roman seal. This would be the governmental seal. And he would press that into the wax. And what did that do? This made it permanent. That document could never, ever, ever be changed in any way whatsoever. Because it had been sealed, forever secured, and authenticated. So what did, what this part of salvation, whew, hold on to this. When you hear with understanding, and you believe in a way that moves your soul to act on it, then Holy Spirit floods you with His presence, and He seals you with the seal of Almighty God that authenticates you are his child, and it is permanent, irrevocable, cannot be changed. Woo! Somebody say amen real quick. Sealed, 
Now I want you to know something. Holy Spirit not only does the sealing, hold on to this now, He is the seal. Not only does He do the sealing, as He abides within us, He is the seal. He is the living authentication. He is the living proof that you and I belong to God. So we hear with understanding, and we believe in such a way that moves us to action, and Holy Spirit seals us. And then that fourth word, have you figured out what it is yet? Is the word guaranteed, or inheritance, or maybe yours is earnest in your Bible. This word arabon in the Greek, it simply means like, when you're going to buy a car, going to buy a house or whatever, and, and you, you sign, you put your name on the dotted line, and then you give them some money. Uh, depending on what it is, you may have to give them 10% down payment. You may have to give them 15 or 20% down payment, whatever. But that money you put down is called the earnest money. It's the down payment. And what is it? It's, it's your pledge. It's your promise. That here's 20%, and I'm going to pay you the other 80% over 150 years, whatever it is. Some of these loans are getting longer and longer. But it's, it's the promise. It's the promise. It's the guarantee. It's the earnest. That everything that God has promised, sealed by the Holy Spirit, now it is guaranteed for all time and eternity. But can, can I give you something that's just so amazing? When you and I go to sign on a house, we put down <laughs> as little as we have to because it's some serious money, okay? Especially if it's 20% or more of the, of the cost of the home. But imagine this for a moment. Imagine you go in there for the closing, and you sign all the papers, and the cost of that home, let's say, is $400,000, okay? And so the amount that you would need to put down would be 20% of that. But when you write out the check, it's for $400,000. It's, it's not just enough to hold it. When this is processed and goes to closing, the entire debt is paid. Jesus Christ didn't just put a down payment on your salvation, brother. He paid it all so that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt for all eternity you belong to him the whole amount with the closing cost and the attorney's fees by the way everything is paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ so when you look at salvation from the divine perspective it has to do with God's predestination and his power and his preeminence because he's involved with all of that down here from our perspective, it has to do with us hearing with understanding and believing in a way that moves us to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that happens, these two come together in a mysterious, miraculous, cataclysmic, bam! And we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God that guarantees the full blessings of all eternity are mine because of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Do you know that assurance in your own heart? Do you have that confidence? 
Paul wants to build your confidence here today. He, he wants to write to you in such a way that Holy Spirit can get inside of you and build your confidence that you belong to Him, that you are for all time and eternity His precious child. I want you to celebrate that in these next few moments. I want you to just take time to praise God and bless Him for what He's done there in your life. But if there's anyone here today or anybody watching today and you don't have that assurance, you don't have that confidence, let me just make this abundantly clear. From before the foundation of the world, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they determined not only to create us, but they knew in their foreknowledge that we would sin and rebel against them. And out of their abundant love and grace, they provided a way, a means by which lost, rebellious mankind could be saved and have fellowship for all time and eternity with Him. And so, in the fullness of time, God the Son became the man, Jesus Christ. He entered into His creation. He, he became a man Himself. And he lived without sin. But when he died, he died on the cross. And he died to take the full punishment for my sins and yours on himself. And he died and they buried him. Three days later, he rose from the grave with eternal life in his hand knowing that though anyone who would express a soul-stirring, moving, I'll obey everything you tell me to do kind of faith would have his eternal life. Right now, you can just pray and say, Oh God, I admit I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I dare to believe what I've heard today that Jesus, when you died, it was to take my sins upon yourself that you were buried, and when you rose again, it was so that I might have your eternal life. Please come into my heart. Cleanse me and forgive me. I want you to be the boss, the king, the ruler of my life. I want to surrender myself totally to you. If that's your heart's desire, then let's pray and listen for angels to sing. Father God, you say there's great rejoicing in heaven for any time one wandering lamb comes back to you. This morning here in the sanctuary and watching by means of media, there are those right now that have been moved deeply by your gospel. And right now the longing of their heart is to be saved. Hear them as they pray. And just simply say, dear God, I confess my sins to you. I dare to believe you died to take my sins upon yourself and you rose that I might have your eternal life. Please come into my life. Cleanse me and forgive me. But set up residency here. I want you to be the boss, the king, the lord, the ruler of my life. I give myself to you. Lord, I know by the authority of your word, angels are rejoicing, and we want to rejoice today. For those who online have prayed this prayer, will you encourage them to call us or text us or email us, get in touch with us, that we can rejoice with them? But here today in the sanctuary, there may be some who for the very first time 
want to cry out and say, Lord Jesus, be my Savior. Will you encourage them in the next few moments as we sing, Holy Spirit, to come from where they are, to sit on this front row right here, that we could come by and encourage them and love on them and, and, and sing praises to God who saved them. Lord, some may want to come to the altar and just worship you and praise you for what you've done in our lives. May we feel the freedom to do that, Lord. Will you give us that freedom that we can just love you and thank you and praise you and adore you for what you've done in our lives? Some may want to join our fellowship today. Encourage them, Lord, to come and sit on this front row and that we can come by and just talk with them a minute, get a little paperwork and welcome them into this family of God. This is your time, Holy Spirit. Move as you see fit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand?